and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bass. And thank you for listening. David, yes. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to <laughs> you, too. Um, yeah, yeah uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's scary ghost to, stories and such. Yeah, it's beginning to look a lot like, like Christmas. Certainly beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Mm-hmm. Jack Frost nipping at your nose, which is almost uh, almost true, as you were you were saying for for Los Angeles standards. It was yesterday morning. It remained in the forties after the sun came up. <laughs> yesterday morning, uh, like at six. Yeah, like five or six. It was thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah, it was in the. That's actual cold. That's not just like it's not freezing though. No, and I because once or twice it has gotten to thirty-two in the valley. Yes, Um, in my in the time that I've lived here. But no, it was uh, usually during the this time of year mm-hmm. it gets into the 40s or sometimes lower as you said at night yeah. but usually when the sun comes up the temperature gets into the 50s but it was yeah. like yesterday morning it was like 10 a.m and it was still 48 degrees yeah it's uh, it's 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 a uh, los angeles cold that's that is often what i say is uh like i'll step outside and i and i can tell it's just like okay it's probably in the 50s but i'm still chilly and so i'm just like like oh it's los angeles freezing out here um <laughs> but uh, uh well, i i've said it like i think and i know why but like i swear like 40s and 50s in los angeles feels colder to me than like 10s and 20s elsewhere yeah absolutely and it's because it's because i'm never dressed for it that's true yeah is the, is the issue that's it's a weird like it's a, it's a middle ground where it's like i'd look ridiculous if i put on like a beanie and like a peacoat right now yes but i'm wearing you know a couple of layers and my head's exposed and i'm it's, yeah. it's colder i'd be warmer like it's when i go to sundance in ne- next month it'll be in the 20s or whatever but i won't feel as cold as i do when it's 45 degrees and i'm walking to my car from the gym yeah here <laughs> it's just it's i do i've i've learned to not feel uh to not feel silly if i do wear a beanie and a, and a jacket and maybe even a scarf uh but there is still this part of me well, scarves are fashionable, I think. Well, that's for sure. So you could just say it's, it's a fashion thing. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, but uh, but yeah, there there are still times when I'd be like, well, I'm just running, you know, I'm just running errands. I'm going to be in and out of the car. I don't need to dress up for that. But it'll st- it's evening or something like that. And I'll still be, I'll just wear like a t-shirt and a flannel with the sleeves rolled up and it's not buttoned mm-hmm. and, and sometimes not a hat. And I'll be like, what am I doing? Yeah. Who am I trying to impress? Yeah. <laughs> I'm already not the type of person that looks fashionable. I might as well just be warm. Uh, <laughs> so anyway. Um, okay. But that's so, not what you wanted to talk about. No, I want to talk about, uh, well, first I want to talk about our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash battleship pretension, uh, you can help support the show at various tier levels. There's a $2, a $5 and a $10 per month. Each one gets you, uh, different perks. Uh, and we do basically a new 45 to 50 minute episode a week. Uh, and you can have access to those, uh, at the over at the Patreon this week, we did one of our uh, 
it's, yeah. So the one, the most recent one by the time you're hearing this is uh, one of our celebrity sightings games, yeah. uh, which was a lot of fun and featured a special surprise guest. Yeah, which yeah. Is so a listen lot of to fun. that. And this is the thing we do, uh, which I swear it, it doesn't, if I explain it, it doesn't sound that fun, but listeners, we've they specifically seem put to out enjoy like, it. Do you enjoy this? And we're like, yes. So basically, we, yeah. Tyler and I say, but when we have normally before pre Patreon, if I had a celebrity sighting, I would literally text Tyler sometimes yeah. like, hey, I'm at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and Josh Brenner is behind me in line. Yeah. Or something like that, um, uh, which is a thing that happened anyway. Uh, but now we save them up and we do guessing games, uh, uh, 20 question style uh, or 40 questions, whatever it takes to guess uh, each other's celebrity sightings. Yeah, I um I had a celebrity sighting the other day okay. uh, at my at the screening of Cats, but uh, this person was not actually at the screening, just at the theater, is at the Chinese theater, uh, and so I was like, "Oh, that's exciting! I'll have to keep that in mind for six or seven months from now when we do our our next one." Our next one, yeah, yeah. Well, we have a bunch. Yeah, we'll have some. We'll have some fun stuff coming up. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, you had something else on your mind, though. Yeah. Um, it's it really is. I mean. Uh, Look, it's the holiday season. We don't want to be talking about uh, downer things, but... Um, Except for today's episode. Yes, that's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's episode 666. We can talk about monsters. Um, yeah, here we go. So I was looking at, and certainly uh, this has been uh, widely shared, but it really just fascinated me. Um, there was a recent interview with Harvey Weinstein, um, which is fascinating to me that he's being interviewed at all uh but anyway in the interview so of course harvey weinstein is is really the allegations against him were what kicked off the me too movement i would say onion no what would what did it say Harvey Weinstein laments not getting enough credit for popularizing the Me Too movement. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. That's uh, yeah. Uh, given these comments, I can absolutely. I probably could have predicted that headline from the Onion, but uh, yeah. So in this uh, in this uh, interview, Weinstein, I've got the quote here. Okay. He says, "I feel like the forgotten man. I made more movies directed by women and about women than any filmmaker, and I'm talking about 30 years ago. I'm not talking about now when it's Vogue. I did it first. I pioneered it." Okay. <sighs> okay. So there's a few things going on here, and one thing I wanted to talk about is that he's, in a way. It's not exactly the same as like a separating the art from the artist, but it is this this thing of like my efforts produced good work, like uh, movies. I gave people an opportunity, um, and to me, it's not really that different than if somebody like a Roman Polanski or Woody Allen were to say, "Don't look at my life; look at my work." Now, I I personally do think that like. Um, that a, a very bad person is capable of making very good, insightful oh, sure. work. But not unlike uh, you and I were having an off-mic conversation where uh, we were talking about Cory Booker, and I uh-huh. mentioned that he himself uh, essentially called himself Spartacus. Um, Which is, as you said, not how that's supposed to That's go. not how this... <laughs> now, granted, the character in Spartacus says, I am Spartacus, but it's meant to be a sacrificial thing, right. not a proclamation of, of no nobility. Um and so it's like 
you need to let someone else call you Spartacus. Okay. <laughs> if, if Roman Polanski or Woody Allen ever said, no, 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 judge me by my work, not my actions. Uh, which to my knowledge, neither of them have ever said, um, then it's like, no, 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 you don't say that. Uh-huh. I'll say it. Let the people who like your work say it, but it sounds like you're just trying to get out of a jam. Um, yeah. And so like for, for Harvey Weinstein, of course, yes, Miramax did some, some really great work in the nineties and changed the, the, the landscape of, of filmmaking. Um, but at the same time, do you really, it is astonishing to me. Like, I don't even know how to diagnose these types of comments from a mental illness standpoint, because how delusional can you be that you think that because you did this, we should ignore the monstrous behavior? Absolutely. I also don't think he did anything that special. Um, (laughs) I think this is, it's very Harvey Weinstein to be uh, taking credit for the work of actual artists. Sure. Because, to me, yeah, he's changed the movie landscape, but he was also uh, instrumental in studio-fying independent movies, which that, is yes, not a good thing. That's true. And also uh, notorious for taking people's movies and recutting them. Yeah. So uh, I don't. I think of him often as an enemy of uh, great movies, and I was. He was not something that I thought fondly of even before this. These, I, these allegations and well, these things came out. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that is true. Um, like I, when I think of him, I think of somebody, I, I think of like a movie like Pulp Fiction or something like that. Um, but at the same time, yeah, he did, he's, it's almost incidental, uh, because he still, yeah, brought a very specific, for lack of a better term, exploitative, uh, mindset to, uh, these films and to apparently many other things. Um, and, uh, including human beings is what I'm saying. Uh, and, uh, but it's more just this fascinating. I do think that having a producer or having like a studio head who really believes in a product or believes in an artist and gives them, uh, a, an opportunity or gives them a, a higher budget than they might get. Otherwise, I think that there is a, a role for that. And I think a lot of, you know, uh, you can't be a fan of citizen Kane without bringing up George Schaefer and like having somebody defend the movie i think that's important uh but yes uh at the same time to use so i'm gonna i'm gonna play devil's advocate and say something that i don't agree with but like i'm gonna say he's a hundred percent right on what he is saying he did uh, with those movies i'm gonna say that so what it still doesn't it still doesn't excuse it free pass yeah and all i think when you talk about like female-led movies that you helped uh, engender all i'm thinking about is like that's a lot more women he was exposed to in more ways than one i would assume and so it's like now i wonder what they did in order to uh Uh, what he required them to do in order to uh get those movies made yeah and that's not the uh, let's go the other way in real like the things you learned about how uh, Ashley Judd's career apparently suffered. Sure. Because he specifically, he told, yeah. he spread, he told filmmakers that she was not good, that she was difficult to work with and involved yeah. because uh, she rebuffed him or, or whatever. So yeah, he's, um, let's not, if we're going to remember all the great uh, yeah. female filmmakers that he supported, let's remember the, the female artists whose career suffered. 
either direct, either directly or indirectly, like either he's trying to tank their career or maybe their uh, interaction with him soured them so much Mm -hmm. on Hollywood and how could it not, uh, that maybe they opted to not take certain projects with certain studios or they were reluctant to pursue their career because this is what it means, uh, you know, cause it can be a traumatic experience. Um, yeah, it's uh, and incidentally, just as this is a side note at this point in my life, if I ever hear that an actor or director is hard to work with, my first assumption is they pissed off someone at the studio, mm-hmm. probably by just wanting to do something the way they felt they should do it. Yeah. Um, that's, I'm 100% with you there. I don't, I, I no longer take that as a given. Yeah. Yeah. There's way too many, uh, people um, who have been painted with that with that brush, yeah. and then have gone on to do like great work with mm-hmm. people who enjoyed working with them, you know. Uh, anyway, let's. Uh, I want to tell you about TweetAudio.com. Uh, TweetAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. You know what I was listening to this morning? What's that? On my TweetArdio.com earbuds while I walk the dog. Uh, new comedy album by, by Chris Gethard. Oh, nice. He has a new album called, uh, it's called Taylor Ham, Egg, and Cheese or whatever. Okay. And it's, uh, it's an entire, it's like a 30, 40 minute album that is recorded in New Jersey in which it is in, uh, a set that is entirely New Jersey specific. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, it's, it's if really you've fun. never been to New Jersey and know almost I've, nothing about it, I've never been. You'll learn a lot. Okay, that's what happened. That's what happened here. Um, uh, but uh, just a little tale. Like he said, he has a whole bit about how um, uh, people disrespect New Jersey, but no one else tells New York to shut the fuck up and keeps an eye on Philly. <laughs> 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 so that That's sounded great. Funny. Yeah. Uh, sounded great on my tweetaudio.com earbuds. Uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweetaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweetaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Ooh, <laughs> it's spooky. Ho, ho, ho. We, we talked about scary ghost story. That's yeah. that it's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be scary ghost stories, which I guess at some point was, uh, yeah. was something that people did at Christmas. But it's still something we do at Christmas in the cinema. Yes. Uh, in the cinema, um, <laughs> uh, there are a lot of Christmas-themed horror movies. Yes. And I... Is or it? horror-themed Christmas movies. Okay. What about, what about that? Okay. It could be either way. Um, uh, no, but uh, I, I, my list is not as extensive as I thought it, w- it was going to be. There's a lot that I apparently have missed. Yes, I'm I, relying on you for a good portion of these. Um, so, I, yeah, I haven't seen any of the um, Silent Night Deadly Nights. But, okay. um, uh, but there, there's so many. And I wonder, uh, the earliest one that I have... 
or from the seventies? Uh, the earliest one I have is from the eighties. Okay. So, uh, I, I don't know at what point this became, were there Christmas like horror movies in the forties and fifties? Not in the research I was doing. It sounds like no. Okay. Um, so yeah, my, my question comes down to outside of just the obvious, which is Christmas is meant to be really upbeat and happy. So imagine a really terrible thing happening during that time outside of that. Yeah. Why are there so many Christmas horror movies? It has to be more than that, right? Well, first off, I forgot to mention, you mentioned it up top. The reason we're doing Christmas horror movies. Indeed, yes. Because this is episode, we've we've had all this time to to look forward to it. This is episode 666 of Battleship Retention, an episode that I've been looking forward to since, I I don't know, since maybe episode 200 when I kind of realized, like, oh, we're not going to stop doing this. Yeah. (laughs) At some point, we're going to get 666. And then a little over a year ago, uh, a listener went ahead and did the research Mm -hmm. and told us, and was like, hey, I noticed that your that episode 666 will be your Christmas episode. Because this is the week we will be doing a Christmas episode no matter what. Mm -hmm. But we're doing Christmas horror because it's episode 666. It is a cursed, satanic episode. Uh, It's always nice when... But it's a human number. His number oh, is 600. I've heard, I've heard that yes. actually mostly from Jimmy Pardo, uh, <laughs> and Mike Schmidt, not from Iron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's always nice when, uh, when an episode topic is essentially dictated, dictated to us yeah. through circumstance. So as far as why, Oh, you know what? Uh, we have a postcard. I forgot to say this before we mm-hmm. started. We have a postcard, uh, from our friend Peter. Uh, he always sends us postcards in his, in his travels this time from Redwood national and state parks. Uh, I'm not sure how that works. Is like, is it overlap parts national or parts? Uh, yeah. If there's a fire, do, do like state Rangers yeah. get pushed aside by federal Rangers or like, this is our crime scene now. Um, but, uh, uh, <laughs> he, cause he wants to, in our Peter Fonda episode, we talked about doing a motorcycle movie episode. Mm-hmm. It would take a lot of research, but he is very much in support of that because he is a, uh, a biker yeah. himself. Um, anyway, so this picture actually from Redwoods, uh, national and state parks, this will get us back into Christmas. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a painting that hung above my, uh, my, my grandma's fireplace. Okay. And I remember my aunt, I was a little kid and my aunt was like fucking with me or whatever. And we were over for Christmas and, so the painting, as you can see, Tyler, in this picture, the listener can't see it. Um, this is not a Patreon episode. There's no video right. here. Um, it's a, it's a, 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 a stream in the wood that's coming toward like the, the person taking the picture is, is either standing in the stream or, or straddling. Right. So it's coming toward the, and my, toward, toward the camera. Uh, and my grandma had a painting very, that was a very similar setup mm-hmm. above her, her, um, her fireplace and we were, we were over there for Christmas, probably Christmas Eve. We spent every Christmas Eve at my, at my grandma's place, uh, grandma's house as a, as a kid, my grandma and grandpa's house up until like, uh, up until he passed away. Uh, so he was probably still alive at this time. And I remember my aunt telling me that because it was the fireplace and she was like, because that's where Santa comes down. Mm-hmm. But she was like, Santa actually comes down this stream and comes out the painting. <laughs> I, I, but I like, I remember it so vividly that I like, pictured him like with the thing over his yeah like the reindeer had like dropped him off somewhere and he's like trudging through the water 
Uh, in oh, so you didn't boots. picture him on a canoe or anything? No, I pictured him walking through. There's a shallow stream, walking yeah, yeah. through, and then stepping into, like, uh, what's her name from the ring, stepping into the living sure. room through the painting. Sure. Um, I don't know why my, wife, my why my aunt told me that story. That's such a specific lie. Uh, maybe, maybe she didn't like. Maybe she was just having fun. I don't know. Sure. But anyway, that's what that made me think of. Interesting. So back to why Christmas? Yeah. And I have a. The, uh, a very specific insight because the other night I went to um, Jen Kirkman's annual dysfunctional Christmas variety show at uh, at the improv mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood improv on Melrose and uh, so she, you know she does some stand-up some of the people do some stand-up there's also some sketch uh, and uh, and a song at the end um, and uh, one of the stand-ups oh, a pleasant surprise to me was Julia Sweeney. Oh, neat. Who is not only someone that I've always thought was really funny, but yeah. also a really good stand-up. I just know her as like a sketch yeah, yeah. person, but a really good stand-up. And she told a story about um, adopting uh, uh, adopting a daughter. Uh, uh, her daughter is from, from China. <laughs> she Part of the story, this isn't the Christmas part, but part of the story that was very funny is that she her daughter's name, like given name is Mulan. And so oh, she boy. tried to like, she was like, she tried to like give her, she was very young when she adopted her. She tried to give her a name because she didn't want people to think I named my Chinese yeah. daughter Mulan. Uh, yeah. But boy, she was old it. enough that that's like all she would answer to. So yeah. at a certain point, Julie Sweeney said, uh, at a certain point she would introduce Mulan and say, give the whole story. This was her name. And now she introduces Mulan. People say, like from the Disney movie? And she goes, yep. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, uh, the, the, the Christmassy part of the story was that she decided early on that she wasn't going to do the Santa Claus thing with her kids. She mm-hmm. wasn't going to, she didn't like the idea of lying. Um, yeah. but then at a certain point when like her daughter was starting school and going to be around other kids, she kind of panicked and realized, okay, I have to tell her. And so had this experience of, telling the idea of Santa Claus to someone who's a little bit old, like a a kid who's a little bit older to where it's like, okay, so there's a guy, he's been watching you (laughs) (laughs) and he's going to come into our house. Um, and so there is something like, and we'll get into specific examples where Santa is the villain, but there's like, there is something creepy about Santa. He's an elf, uh, which elves are usually, uh, benevolent, but not always. Um, he does, yeah, he keeps an eye on you and he comes into your yeah. home. There's something intimate about he keeps, it. He keeps a judgmental eye on you, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, and then there's also something like one thing that Halloween and Christmas time have in common is that I think when you close your eyes and picture Christmas time, it's nighttime, right? Yeah, I do. Because you think of the Christmas lights, yes. you think of the fire, you yeah. think of like, families huddled together and it's because it's winter and the days are shorter or whatever. Um, although as of, as of this recording, it's not winter yet. I know it's winter in your mind, but by the time you're hearing this listeners, it's winter, but tomorrow is the first day of winter, Tyler, uh, officially. Okay. Anyway. Um, so I, I think there are the Christmas is a, is not a scary time on its surface. The way we, we talk about it, the way we experience it, but everything about it just under the surface is a prime setting for you know there's dark mystical 
creatures and we're mm-hmm. all huddled together and easy to pick off yeah or easy to easy to, to kill all at once and i guess it's the, the yeah. opposite of that um so and i think as i think as time has gone on because uh, you know um there have been movies probably starting in the 70s but certainly well into the 80s the idea that family getting together and this is this has likely always been true, but as far as movies and stories acknowledging this truth that families getting together is not always a joyful, just a purely joyful experience. Right. It, it can bring with it baggage and anger and disagreement and all of this stuff. And and you are stuck with these people, you know, um, a Christmas story has that obviously national lampoons, Christmas vacation has that home alone has that. And this, this feeling, and there's, there's the winter aspect of it as well. We're like, Oh, there it's snowy. And even some of the songs are about staying inside uh-huh. trapped with people you don't really enjoy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's a psychological element to it as well. Um, not to mention from a, from a spiritual standpoint, obviously, uh, for, for Christians, um, Christmas is a very important time, but it's also in a way it's this, it's this weird, uh, coming together of hopelessness and hopefulness. This idea that, that uh, oh, the Messiah, the person that is going to save you from your sins and all that has now emerged, which means that right up until that moment, things are pretty bad, you know, uh, like the idea that uh, it's darkest right before the dawn. Um, and so like this time of redemption means that you need to be redeemed from something. So let's, let's toy with that. Let's talk about, okay. uh, the darkness of humanity right before the redemption of humanity. So I feel like there's, I feel like it's just infused with all of this, not to mention uh, historically. And from a literature standpoint, there is a Christmas Carol, which is, which has a hopeful, you know, has a hopeful ending at the end uh, after a character has been shown just how much of a monster he is. Yeah. Um, and I know that AMC, I was reading, um, I was reading, I forget who, who wrote it, but it was at RogerEbert.com. Somebody was reviewing like this three hour AMC Christmas Carol that's coming out in the next uh, few days. Oh, with starring Guy Pierce? Guy Pierce. Yeah. And they said that like in that they're is trying AMC? to, Okay. Is it AMC? Is no, it no, no. FX? It's FX. It's FX. Yeah. Pardon me. I passed um, the billboard on the Sunset Strip. That's right. I drive the Sunset Strip. And good for you being able to pick out a single billboard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I get in. I, I almost get in accidents when I drive on the Sunset Strip because so many billboards. Are like, oh, what is that? Oh, yeah. right. There's cars in front of me. It really yeah. seems like a hazard. Um, it's obviously made for morning rush hour when I'm driving the sure. Sunset Strip at two miles per hour. Yes. I get to take in all the billboards. That's true. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, I like when they do. I, I hate praising billboards, but I like when they do the multiple billboards that are like yeah. reference one another. Yeah, that's fun. It's like a fun story. Yeah, as you're furious about your life choices uh, <laughs> to be driving at uh, rush hour. Um, but yeah, uh, apparently this this film is meant more. It's it's taking a very familiar story and they're like making it gritty and dark and really trying to play up just the evil of Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, and the, the review is not a, is mostly not a positive one because it says like apparently he's so cheap that like a company that he owns has like a mine collapse and a lot of people die and it's stuff like that and so he he witnesses it from the ghost of Christmas present or or whatever and uh, 
And so it's like they, they try so hard to make us just see the, the horrors of Ebenezer Scrooge. It's like his redemption feels a little bit, you know, a little too little too late there. Um, so I, I feel like it does need to be, there needs to be a certain, a certain lightness to his evil, um, where he seems more like a cheap curmudgeon than an absolute monster. Uh, but it's still, it's still based in this idea that he is a character who's, who's, evil can be most summed up most by he really doesn't like Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so the, the, the character in my first movie that I want to talk about, uh, I'm going to go roughly chronologically. I think, yeah. um, really does like Christmas or at least likes using it as an excuse to kidnap children. Mm-hmm. This is 1971's whoever slew Auntie Rue. Okay. Which is a, uh, Shelley Winters vehicle, uh, cheapo movie that is a retelling of, Hansel of the Hansel and Gretel story mm-hmm. at Christmas. Uh, um, Shelley Winters plays Auntie Rue, who is a, a lifetime single woman. I guess old maid is the sure, sure. old timey term. It seems mean, but spinster. <laughs> yeah, that's much nicer. <laughs> uh, she's one of those things, but she's very wealthy and she loves Christmas. And, and uh, every every Christmas, she hosts a dinner for a local orphanage for all the, all the orphans come to her home for a nice dinner and they all get presents or whatever, Mm -hmm. but she uses it to kidnap kids. And so this is about a brother and sister orphan who, uh, get invited to this thing and are mysteriously, uh, left behind when the school bus leaves or whatever at the end of the thing. And, and it's their, uh, trials and travails trying to, uh, survive, uh, living with, uh, with Auntie Rue. Um, it's very corny. It's a lot of fun. Um, Shelley Winters is just, going for it, which is great. I was going to say, like, I can't think of a phrase that actually excites me more than it's a Shelley Winters vehicle. <laughs> yeah. That sounds yeah. wonderful. To yeah. Me. It, it, it's, it's a really fun movie. Um, it's, 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 I'm not sure who owns the rights. It's easy to find shitty versions on okay. like legally on, online. Um, that's why I saw, I think I was like free on Amazon prime, but it's clearly yeah. like a, uh, uh, it's a very bad transfer, like a, like a one light transfer, which is inside baseball talk, but it's a shitty transfer, but it's still a fun. So this is not something I'm planning on doing every time we bring up, up a movie, but I do want to sort of with that, like, as you're talking about, it's like, okay, how does that play into Christmas Christmas? And it's the idea of somebody exploiting the goodwill of Christmas and the assumption that, Oh, this person is trying to do something nice at Christmas, you know, yeah. because we all try to do something nice at Christmas. And this rich old woman is, is trying to do that. So, you know what? We'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Oh, she's a predator. She's yeah. an absolute monster. Um, so yeah. Okay. Okay. So then the other one in the seventies, I haven't seen it for a while. It's not silent night, deadly night. Mm-hmm. It obviously predates that. That's an eighties movie. This is a 1972 movie called silent night bloody night mm-hmm. which is a very cool movie not just in that it's a cool movie to watch but just to think about like a movie made clearly so cheap mm-hmm. uh, and yet is so effectively sort of creepy and, and grisly uh, when it comes to the murders the the basic story is a, it, i don't think the, I, I don't think the movie even takes place around christmas the story is that there's this abandoned uh, asylum mansion mansion turned asylum like most asylum asyla in movies are former <laughs> mansions right mm-hmm. um 
that uh, has been abandoned for 40 years. And this reporter, I think has come to town to investigate, uh, to do a story on it because it closed down when one Christmas night, 40 years ago, an inmate slaughtered a bunch of people. Hmm. Um, and so it's basically kind of a, you know, if we had our friend uh, Kyle Anderson here, he might be able to confirm whether or not it would count as a giallo because it's a oh for sure it's a horror movie, but it's also an investigative mystery. It's this mm-hmm. guy trying to figure out what happened, what actually happened, despite the official story, what has happened to the place and to the person who killed the people in the family of that person who killed the people in the 40 years since uh it's yeah it's a really cool little movie that was clearly made on a shoestring budget yeah and yet is effectively uh uh creepy and yeah like i said grizzly when there aren't two there isn't a super high body count in it but they're uh they're upsetting giallo type uh you know really hands-on murders they get you with quality not quantity (laughs) okay yeah uh and then my third one in the 70s is one of my favorite horror movies one of my favorite christmas movies and in some ways maybe i can't remember if it made my because i made a top 100 recently at your prodding i can't remember if it made my top 100 but mm-hmm. uh a contender for top 100 movies of all time black christmas yes uh, by bob clark which has uh, been remade twice now yeah and I, recently I, I, unsuccessfully but uh I, think, I mean i think both times unsuccessfully financially um, i thought the i thought the one from a, uh, a few years ago yeah i, I thought that did ago. okay yeah i know it's 13 years ago in the <laughs> in the context of film history it's only a few years ago yeah okay um uh yeah oh we didn't talk about speaking of the black christmas remake which i didn't see i wanted to see it mm-hmm. um I'm disappointed that people don't seem to like it, uh, but maybe maybe I will like it. But we didn't talk about the Joe Bob Briggs thing. Do you know Joe Bob Briggs? Yes. He, for some I reason... I was talking to somebody about this. Was it you that we talked about it, about it off mic? Because I talked I to somebody else me. about it as I, I, well. Because I talked to Scott about it. Okay. Because Scott was like... Unlike me, he was like, I didn't really know who Joe Bob Briggs was was oh yeah i, I definitely know i definitely knew, yeah. yeah i think that's just being a few years older than scott i that's absolutely true. knew i also remember he used to i want to say it was the movie channel to that premium channel the movie channel yeah my my i didn't have cable at all much less premium, mm-hmm. premium cable growing up but my my dad's friend at work would tape movies for me and my dad mm. off of the movie channel and in between like horror movies, sometimes there'd be like interstitial, like little bits hosted by J- Joe Bob Briggs. Right. Yeah. Do you, does this sound right? To oh you? yeah. I think it's the movie channel. I, yeah, I can be, I can picture the, the set that he would yeah. sit in. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, so I've been a fan of it. So I'd like been kind of a fan of his since I was a kid essentially. Mm-hmm. And for some reason he got up on this high horse. Oh yeah. You and I did talk. We about did it. talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. This completely baffling stance that he took specifically motivated by Sophia to call April Wolf, the screen, the director and screenwriter of the, of the black Christmas, um, uh, remake talking about the movie being feminist. Mm-hmm. And he went on this ridiculous, easily, uh, uh refutable, <laughs> easily refutable claim about how back in the seventies, ho- directors didn't make horror movies to make a, any sort of statement. They just wanted to scare you, which is like, have you seen, you could point to almost any yeah, of yeah. them. Maybe even all of them. Yeah. Like it's everyone in any movie was making a statement of some kind. And, but horror movies specifically have yeah. always reflected our, our sort of, uh, national current anxieties, yeah. you know? Uh, so that was crazy. It was upsetting to me. I had to unfollow him, uh, on, on Twitter. Did uh, he like double down on the comment? Did he yeah. make more comments like it or he kind of, 
he, I think he did a couple of comments and then he did the thing of like, everyone was like completely dragging him. And then he did like, it's really great to see such a spirited debate about horror movies. Like trying to make it like kind of a neutral thing. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, no, you, that's not a debate. Like, yeah, yeah it's you're like getting this, owned cause, left and right. Cause that's the thing is like, it's not even like a political thing or talking about the culture or anything like that. It, it clearly came out of that, but like, this is factual stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, unfortunate. And also to get us back on track, one movie you could clearly point at as, as having social political, uh, interests is 1974's black Christmas, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, with, uh, silent night, bloody night and black Christmas. These are both movies that take, that were made before we think of the advent of the slasher movie. Sure. You know, like Halloween tends to be sort of the beginning where we talk yeah. about that, but just like there were, the Stooges and MC five before there was punk rock. There were movies right. like that before there were actually slashers and, I, and, and black Christmas is, um, uh, one of the clearest sort of inspirations for what would become a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet so many of the 80s slasher movies would be so exploitative and, and titillating that if you 10 years later, maybe 15, you know, 15 years later, if you said, Oh, I'm making a horror movie about, uh, a, 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 a repressed psycho killer, um, working his way through all the girls at a sorority house. Yeah. You'd picture that there'd be nudity everywhere. Yeah. Skip your clothing. There'd be all sorts of, you know, he'd be constantly walking in on girls having sex with their boyfriends or whatever. Right. Like this is not a titillating movie at all. No one takes their clothes off. Uh, uh, the, the, um, women, of the sorority house each have their own distinct personality. Um, and, and furthermore, the movie is in many ways about, uh, I guess, I don't know how we want to say in some, in some ways, misogyny, there's a reason this killer is killing women, Mm -hmm. but also you've got this sort of patriarchal condescension of people not believing the women when there's a problem. You also got a very strong, abortion subplot in which one of the main red herrings and you'd have to, I think I said this, um, I've said this on the podcast before about this specific movie. You'd have to have almost never seen a movie before to actually think this guy's the killer. Oh, okay. But one of the, <laughs> one of the red herrings yeah. is that, uh, Olivia Hussey's character has told her boyfriend that she's pregnant, but she wants to finish school and have a career and she's planning on having an abortion. And, uh, he flips out about it saying she has no right to, make that decision on her own and mm-hmm. all, all these things and to the point like he's so angry that we're supposed to think he right. is the killer. He's not obviously, yeah. but, um, <laughs> uh, so it had like all these things are, are, are in the movie. Um, and so, and I think reading what Sophia Takala said about black Christmas is not like she was pretending that she was making the first feminist take on black Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I think she was inspired to remake it because she like, uh, had seen, uh, uh, she said something about like the feminist themes or whatever, uh, the things that, that the original black Christmas made her think about. So anyway, Joe Briggs is wrong. Black Christmas is great. And the other thing that I want to say about the movie that is so great is that, uh, Margot Margot Kidder, mm-hmm. America's sweetheart, you know sure. Lois Lane, yeah, yeah, right. She's a paragon of goodness and sweetness. She plays. I'm going to use a word I don't normally use, but within this type of movie, she plays the bitch, right? And she is one of the worst ever. <laughs> she's such a terrible, terrible person, and has such. But it's also like she's clearly 
her parents are, have decided to like spend Christmas away from her. She's like clearly mm-hmm. a rich kid with who's gotten way too little attention in her life. And yeah. she takes it out by drinking too much and being terrible to people. Okay. And, uh, she has, I'm going to say this line. It's one of the most shocking, as far as character development, it's one of the most shocking lines I've ever heard anyone say in a movie. Okay. When like, cause they, they start getting, it starts with them getting dirty phone calls before anyone gets, gets killed. And she thinks it's like funny. And one of the other girls is like, we should, we should take this seriously. Did you hear about, the townie girl who was raped recently and Margot Kidder goes, you can't rape a townie. <laughs> it's so awful. I, I like to imagine that somebody who is watching like a, a second run, uh, screening of this and then calls up Richard Donner and says like, oh, we found our lowest lane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, it's such a great movie. Uh, and it has a pre SCTV Andrea Martin. Oh, wow. Uh, that's great. Is, is the, uh, one of the, one of the sorority girls. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. All right, okay. I've talked for a while. We do, we, I guess we're moving into the 1980s. Yes, um, now, I only have one in the 1980s. Oh, I have. I I'm incorporating several. Okay. Okay. So obviously, there's Gremlins. That was the one I had. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think you like Gremlins more than I do, but I still love it. Yeah. Um, I'd say by and large, you, you like Joe Dante more than I do, but I still love him. Um, yeah. Uh, gremlins takes this idea of elves and just (laughs) turns it on its head and that like elves make things, gremlins destroy things. And so it's just, it's taking a very, and, and so in a way, the concept of gremlins could work any time of the year, but it's taking iconography that we know and, and uh, seeing like a dark, an inver, a negative inverse uh, of that, um, so that it's it it still the film still feels festive. And I think at the, <laughs> you know, if you want to look at it in the same way that a movie like people say Midsummer is a, is like a a, a breakup movie, uh, Gremlins is ultimately about the horror of getting a bad gift, um, <laughs> you know, or or a thoughtless gift. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, Gizmo is adorable, of course, but clearly the dad's like, ah, shit. Uh, well, the gas station's closed. Where can I get a, a, a last-minute Christmas gift for my son? Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy the movie, and I think it incorporates Christmas iconography really wonderfully. Uh, I love its manic energy, of course. Um, yeah, Gremlins is is just uh, such a beautifully realized film. Yeah, and it definitely the thing you were talking about earlier about why horror at Christmas, just the, just the irony of it is something that clearly yeah. Joe Dante and, and even specifically Chris Columbus who wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. really seems to, to love yeah. like having this perfect Bedford falls community and this perfect, uh, you know, eighties suburban, yeah. uh, American family. And then, you know, uh, gremlin gets his head cut off and it lands in the Christmas tree. I think <laughs> yeah. is that something that happens. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea that, you know, uh, the, uh, Billy Peltzer's mother who was supposed to, who's supposed to die originally. Um, apparently Chris Columbus originally screenplay was a lot really darker. Na- was much yeah. nasty. And I feel like I, I, I feel like it's just the right mix of, uh-huh. of nasty and well, you've still got family friendly monologue, which is, that's very dark. <laughs> 
is it? I mean, I know officially that it is. Yeah. And yet I think the film is only is always winking at us. Yeah. Uh, as she does, as oh, she does well, it, even but, more so in the sequel. When oh, they, <laughs> they don't know. Don't even have time for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, even like the idea of the mom, like being in the kitchen and like a big part, it's, I don't think it's necessarily trying to make some kind of feminist statement. It's the idea that around Christmas time, like a lot of moms and grandmas and stuff are, cooking stuff for the family in the kitchen. And this is where, uh, she has her, her takes her stand against the gremlins and then like puts one in the microwave and it blows up and all that. It's, uh, that, that happens, right? Cause she also shoves one in like a, like a blender or something like that. Yeah. There's, she shoves one in the blender, she puts one in the microwave and then, okay, maybe I think she gets tackled into the tree and then Billy comes home and grabs the sword. Is that what it is? He cuts off the things, the gremlins head and it goes into the fireplace. Maybe it's been a while since I've seen the first one. Um, I do tend to watch the second one more as much as I love the first. I like the second one more. Yeah. Um, But the second one also calls back the microwave moment when the Mm. micro, the gremlins put, they blow up one of the TV sets by TV studios by putting a bunch of pots and pans in the microwave. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I really love it. Um, I did want to move on and mention uh, another Bob Clark movie, uh, which is of course a Christmas story, which is not, not a horror. It's not a horror movie, but there are moments where you're like, I could see a horror guy making this. Um, everything Santa Claus related, like the the weird, like I can't like the wide angle lens, like as camera as Santa just shoving his face into the camera, saying oh, yeah. "ho," like the worst ho 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 in the world, and he goes "ho ho ho," <laughs> and then um, so it's stuff like that, and then. Um, and then even the way the the bully Scott Farkas is is shot, uh-huh. uh, just like these grotesque images of the bully of Santa Claus of Santa's elf and yeah. stuff like and that. Also, yeah, he kicks uh, the kid, he kicks him on the slide. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't kick him. He simply nudges his forehead with his foot. That's right. So I guess you could call that a kick. But I remember as a kid being like, I never had that. I don't remember taking like getting my picture taken with Santa, and then you got to go on a slide afterward. That seemed yeah. fun. But it's just like it's such a but everything about it there's nothing magical about the santa claus thing like you go up and even like the kid in front of 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 oh shoot what's the kid's name ralphie, ralphie. no i was gonna say richie yeah ralphie um and the kid in front of him with his weird goggles and there's something maybe wrong with the kid and it, but he's really excited to see santa that's right sits on santa's lap immediately starts screaming like and the, the idea of the slide it's just such a dismissive send the kid down to hell <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Um, it's so like, of course the movie is not horror based, but it's, it's, I, I absolutely like when you think first off the name, Bob Clark is like the least threatening name in the world, but also <laughs> most of us know him from a Christmas story. And then when you discover that, Oh, he actually made a horror film, a Christmas themed horror film at first, you're like what? And then you think, Oh no, I get it. I could see it. Uh, so that's another one. Uh, and then similarly, uh, speaking, I guess this gets us. Yeah. All right. I mean, obviously any adaptation of a Christmas story, uh, Christmas Carol is going to have that. There was a TV movie with George C. Scott, uh, that plays up the, the horror elements. And then obviously Scrooged, um, does it as well. Uh, yeah specifically uh concepts i mean goes to christmas future certainly but even the idea that 
the Marley character played by John, John Forsythe is just a rotting corpse yeah. <laughs> with a mouse coming out of his head. Yeah. Um, and then the idea of the, the variation of Scrooge seeing his own name on a tombstone and here it's, he experiences a, uh, uh his own cremation, That's right? Like those are some horrific, yeah, yeah. uh, concepts. So that, that I think, Again, it's it's a horror movie in so far as any Christmas Carol is a horror it's, movie. They're all ghosts. They're all scary ghost stories. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. And then lastly, there are elements to Home Alone that feel uh, horrific in certain okay. ways, uh, like when he goes down to the basement and the and the the furnace uh, speaks oh. to him and says, hello, Kevin and all that. I forgot about that. Um, and even the, the music by John Williams, um, has kind of, that's true. Uh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Sort but, yeah. of a, a, a creepy playful well, quality to it. You know, the, um, uh, th- that's something that's true of a lot. There's a lot of Christmas type stuff that music, musically that I'm trying to think, I think it, the, because listeners will have heard the Christmas version of the theme. Yes. If I remember to use it. It's a little creepy. It is, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I wish I could remember who uh, made it for us. I sadly don't remember, but uh, should, your legacy will live on. We should, um, we should remember these sort of things. Indeed. Uh, uh, for, for credit. But, like, I mean, one of the... There's a lot of... I don't know if there's a lot. There are certain, like, songs or bits of music that aren't actually Christmas music, but that I think of at sure. Christmas. And one of them, you mentioned John Williams, the Harry Potter theme, yeah. which is both a horror type of like, it sounds like something creepy coming up from the basement, but yeah. it also sounds like Christmas time at yeah. the same time. Yeah. There's, there's bits of instrumentation, um, that is always going to sound like Christmas and like strings being sort of plucked. Uh, again, there's, it, it, it feels dark and it feels like elves, you know, or gremlins or whatever. Um, just like tiptoeing along in the dark, uh, trying to not wake you as yeah. they sneak into your house. And even the idea of, uh, Harry and Marv, um, uh, they first see like, Hey, maybe the kid will let us in. And it goes, Hey, it's uh, Santa Claus and his elf. You know, the <laughs> idea of like some, something coming into your house. Now it's usually Santa Claus. Who's a benevolent force, but in this case it's, it's uh, these two guys who are coming to take instead of give. Um, but yeah, it's a variation on that. The film obviously is not a horror film. It will inspire one, uh, which we'll talk yeah, about yeah. later, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. not I've, too much later. We're, we're burning through these. That's true. Uh, which I'm fine with. We all have Christmas cheer to get to. exactly. Yeah. Presents to wrap. We have family to, uh, endure. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we have eggnog to consume. Um, all right. So let's, are we going to the nineties then? Uh, yeah. Uh, I only have one in the nineties and, uh, there's to me, yeah, I do too. in my head, there's a debate every year. Is this a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? It's well, both. It's, the answer is both. Yeah. Uh, the nightmare before Christmas, um, which I for, had not rewatched for a long time and rewatched it. Uh, I think last Christmas, mm-hmm. Um, it's really good, but uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it works as both. It does, but I am more likely to watch it at Christmas than I am at Halloween. Hmm. Because it makes sense, but it's the, the macabre parts of it are real macabre. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. This is not a, uh, you know, fake, it's a Disney movie, but it's not Disney macabre. It's, 
Yeah. When you see, I mean, (laughs) uh, when you see the tree that's walking along with skeletons hanging from it by their necks and the skeletons have inverted crosses on their forehead, you're like, right. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty dark. Um, but yeah. What's going on set? Oh, there's uh, this guy who has like a cart. Is he sharpening uh, knives? What was that? Is he sharpening knives? My, I would assume so, but uh, no, he is selling. He's selling treats and such. That's not to say he's not sharpening knives on his off time, but But that's just for a plan he has. That old idea, like it's gone the way of the milkman, but the idea of the guy who would come around and sharpen your knives for you is, uh, I, 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 I would love that. Do you have a lot of dull knives at home? No, I keep my knives sharp, but I like the idea of <laughs> just like, look, I know how to change my oil. Yeah. But I'd rather. Sure. Absolutely. The mechanic do it because he's a not going to charge me that much than it would cost just to buy the oil in the new air filter. Mm. Uh, B, I know he's going to do it right. Yeah. And C, he can look and say, hey, by the way, when I was under there, it looks like you've got this, uh, you know, your engine mount is loose or something yeah. like that, whatever, because I trust my mechanic. Um, but uh, so I like the idea of, yes, I can sharpen an knife on my own, but I well, I believe in trusting experts. Uh, I very much uh, agree with you. Um, so, yeah, if there were someone no. who wasn't charging an arm and a leg, <laughs> not literally, I know he's got there a lot of sharp go. blades, yeah. <laughs> but um, if there were someone who came down my street offering to sharpen knives i would bring my knife block out to him i'm reminded of a of a there you go uh i'm reminded of a wonderful uh bit well it wasn't it didn't wasn't meant to be a bit but on norm mcdonald's uh like youtube show he had a he wound up getting a couple of sponsors who dropped him very quickly because norm mcdonald trying to say any kind of script is one of the funniest things you've ever heard and so one of them is dollar shave club and so he's talking about like you know he's talking with like andy dick about uh razors and he goes you know you can use it to to shave your your face and andy dick's like or you know legs or whatever and norm mcdonald's like oh goes oh absolutely there are no rules with dollar shave club he goes how could there be they send you fucking razors through the mail <laughs> <laughs> uh, that reminds me there was one that was less funny but greg proops once like got so annoyed at the ad copy because mm. it was a very common phrase I, I think the sponsor of his podcast was like warby parker i think sure, it's like sure. an eyeglass thing it's a very common phrase like this episode is brought to you by and he hated the concept of that he was like no it fucking isn't Ryan and I work our asses off to bring this show to you every week. The show is brought to you by us. (laughs) (laughs) Warby Parker is just giving us money for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they ever sponsored him again after that. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, it's, it is such a common phrase. I think when we've had sponsors, I think we use that term, even though it's a hundred percent not true. (laughs) Uh, but yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah. Nightmare before Christmas going back to that. Yeah. Very dark, uh, sensibilities and bringing these two things together. Um, but still, uh, at the core of it, like that's the thing is the darker Halloween town is, the the more of a contrast there it, it it has with Christmas Town, and this idea that Christmas is a transformative thing um, when you are confronted with it, uh, whether you live in Halloween Town or you're just bored by life. The idea that it's it's this it's it's a very special rare thing um, is something the film absolutely um, embraces um, and that it, there's an intangibility to it that it can't just be 
recreate it easily that, that, that there is a, a spirit underneath it that, um, that all of the, you know, and this is a very, uh, th- this is something that we see in stuff like, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas and Charlie Brown Christmas special and all that. But the idea that all of the lights and the trees and all of the, uh, accoutrement, like they aren't going to quite capture what Christmas really is. And that's something that is both magical and also kind of frustrating about it. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I love the movie on a number of levels. I love it visually. I love the, I adore the music. Um, and I do enjoy the way that it fits into the, the larger Christmas, uh, canon. So, uh, all right. So the next film for me is into the, the, the two thousands. Okay. I don't have anything until the 2010s. I got nothing for the aughts at all. Okay. I mean, I only have another, uh, Christmas Carol, this one done by Robert Zemeckis, um, which I think is a 2009, maybe even 2010. Uh, now that I think about it. Well, I think, yeah, they were, I remember they were making it in 2007. Okay. So yeah, I think it's a 2009 who worked on it because I had worked on Beowulf. Yes. Um, I think it's 2009, but, uh, Look it up. You know, this is one where I feel like Robert Zemeckis has has a, a certain not a horror sensibility, but I think he's able to play that up if he can. I mean, there are he made what lies beneath. He made what lies beneath. Who framed Roger Rabbit has some creepy stuff in it. Um, and here uh, is what lies beneath. Good. I think we've had this conversation before. I've not seen it in many years. I liked it at the time as like an homage to Hitchcock. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> that last oh, one sounds like somebody he, stopped him. <laughs> he realized, like, oh, they're doing a podcast. Me. <laughs> yes, um, I'm sure. That is a, a private. He's like, I'm sorry, sir. Sorry. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure the listeners can hear that. Oh, undoubtedly. If they yes. can't, someone's beeping a horn. Yeah. All right. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, well, that's me. I have the opposite where I didn't like it the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. or the only time I've seen it, but I feel like I would like it more now. Mm hmm. Uh, that is possible. I mean, that, you know what? When I first saw it, I enjoyed it, but I didn't totally understand what it was doing tonally. Mm-hmm. I had an idea of it, but then I saw more Hitchcock movies. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, now it seems yeah, almost shameless. Uh, the way, like, when I watch like a Brian De Palma movie or something. And yeah, um, 2009 is when okay. uh, his a Christmas Carol came out. But yeah, here, um, because it's animated, uh, Zemeckis clearly feels like he wants to. Uh, get kind of ambitious with with some of the images that are very easy for Charles Dickens to write, but very hard to dramatize. And so one of them is the idea of uh, Scrooge suddenly becoming aware of all of the ghosts that are like Marley, that it's not just Marley on his own. So like Scrooge looks out into the world and and is suddenly his eyes are open and he sees all kinds of ghosts uh, who are desperately trying to do good but now they can't. It's too late for them to do it. And they are mourning uh, not merely the position they're in, but also uh, their inability to positively influence the world anymore. Um, so that, along with the the, the way uh, Marley is shown with his like jaw dropping off and stuff like that, um, it's it's some really it's some really nice uh, imagery that is meant to be appropriately uh, haunting. So it was a motion capture movie. Yes. Um, Gary Oldman played both Marley and Bob Cratchit. Yep. I didn't realize that. And Jim Carrey plays Scrooge and all three of the ghosts, I believe. Oh, wow. That's some. Um, all right. It was just to save money. Anyway, uh, so now that I've can't got possibly the year be true. 2010. Okay. Uh, I, only have t- I only have two more. So, uh, I and have three more, inclu- okay. including this one. 2010, 
a Finnish movie called Rare Exports. You can hear this, I think this week on the podcast, yes. on the I Do Movies Badly podcast, you can mm-hmm. hear Jim talk about Rare Exports. Um, but this is a movie uh, about the idea, uh, I guess this is kind of what Krampus is. Well, I'm sure we're mm-hmm. talking about Krampus. I've never yes. seen any Krampus uh, related stuff. But uh, it's about the idea that uh, Santa Claus is a real thing, but is not a benevolent thing. Right. Um, and that Santa's elves aren't uh, happy little toy makers, but his evil minions who do his right. bidding. And uh, basically, within the premise of the movie, Santa had been Santa Claus had been captured and uh, defeated and captured and buried in a mountainside hmm. like uh, hundreds of years before, and a new construction of course, thing or whatever yeah. has uh, uh, unleashed his tomb, and now now. Uh, Santa is free to re- resume his reign of terror over the people of Finland <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, only Finland. Yeah. So it's, it's a horror movie and an action movie and a comedy and a Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, we'll get to another, uh, multi genre hybrid, uh, mm-hmm. at the, at the end with my most recent one. Um, but, uh, it's all of those things at, at once. It's not, it's not particularly scary. It has some horrific imagery, but it's not, yeah. it's not an edgy or seat scary type movie. It's more of an edgy or seat action type movie where, hmm. where these, uh, these sort of locals, I don't know, red Dawn style decide to band together and, uh, yeah. go take out, <laughs> take out Santa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is by the way, something that, uh, you'll see a lot in, um, TV, like Futurama has like a robot Santa Claus who, because he's a robot, he's able to assess like everybody's uh, like being good and bad and finds everybody has come up short, of course. Uh-huh. Um, and so he just wants to kill everyone. Uh, you find this with uh, American dad. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's a beat that is very easy, easy to play. Um, a, a murderous Santa Claus uh, is something that there's a movie. I only saw clips from called Santa's Slay S L A Y. Um, in which, yes, Santa just decides, I've had it up to here with people, right. and I will now destroy them. My memory of Rare Exports, which I saw in the theater when it came out, so mm-hmm. nearly a decade ago, so I could be misremembering this, is that unlike some of the stuff you're talking about where it's comedic, there is a sense of, of comedy here, but like yeah. Santa himself, one of the things that, that Rare Export does is that Santa himself is not funny. He's scary. Right, yeah, yeah. He's, and he doesn't say anything he's more like an orc he doesn't speak mm. at all um uh he's yeah he's like he's like i guess orcs even orcs speak but yeah. he's like some sort of i don't know evil creature that doesn't he's he's not yeah. human uh and that makes him all the scarier uh, well, so i do like that as much as there is comedy in two rare exports it takes the idea of santa as a murderous demon seriously <laughs> And I will use that to transition into the 2015 Michael Doherty Krampus, which I do. I just I love on every level. Um, I think it is visualized beautifully. Um, great sound, uh, great sound design. Uh, very. I mean, it's it's still very funny. Uh, it's got you know you've got um, Adam Scott and Dave Keckner in the cast, um, and some some sequences that have a Gremlins feeling to them like any any of krampus's minions uh that go after this one family uh it it has sort of a a darkly comedic um sort of manic quality but then krampus himself 
they, they don't mine him for laughs. They mine him for just pure horror. And the design of him is so disturbing. Uh, he's big and hulking and he has like, uh, he's sort of like a, like a, like a fawn or whatever, where he's got okay. like hooves, uh, hooves Ooh. for feet, pardon Cloven me. feet, cloven feet. Thank you. Uh, but then, and he also seems to be wearing like this, these big ratty robes. And so you can't really see his face, but when you do, he appears to be wearing a, a, a like old wooden mask that looks like Santa Claus. Uh, but you can't see any eyes. So you never see what his actual face looks like. You just see this horrifying, blank Michael Myers esque face staring back at you. And, uh, and he is, and there are moments where you feel like where the character's like making an appeal to Krampus and you come to realize like, no, if Krampus is talking to you, there are no appeals Mm -hmm. to be had. He is here for a reason. And, uh, and it's a film that is kind of about, the, the frustration of being with family members and all that, but still makes this an argument in favor of family togetherness. And, uh, and so I really, I, I love it on every level. I think, I think people would really enjoy it is genuinely scary, genuinely funny, genuinely touching all of yeah. that. Uh, I think you would like it quite a bit sure as, as a gremlins fan. And uh, look at this cast. I mean, you mentioned Dave Kegner. Yeah. I can't remember who else you said, but Adam Scott, Adam Scott, Tony Collette. Yeah. Allison Tolman, who mm-hmm. I guess had not yet done been on Fargo at this point. Oh yeah. I guess before, not. So, uh, I guess that then not very well known. Conchata Farrell, uh, from, uh, Edward Scissorhands. Oh, that's right. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, and then you've got, uh, Seth Green, you've got Rick and Morty co-creator, Justin Roiland. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like there are more, but yeah, good, good cast. Yeah. Is it all, a cute dog. It looks like. Yeah. And it's, I don't, and, the dog probably gets killed. Doesn't it? Uh, I don't remember. I assume so. It's a horror movie. Just statistically, I would assume yeah. so based on the movie. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I really, it, it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. Not merely like ironically, not merely as like kind of a funny, scary romp, but just all the way through. Like I did a more than one lesson episode about it. Uh, I, I really like it. Um, but anyway, so, and then I have one more to talk about. Uh, well, I think we both have one more to talk about, which is 2016's better watch out. Correct. Yes. Which is a movie that I feel like is not correct me if you feel differently. It's not actually particularly Christmassy other than the fact that it's clearly meant to evoke home alone uh yes i think this story could be told at any time yeah um but yes it is meant to be kind of a, a, a just a slight not as much as one would think but a slight twist on home alone and yeah. and directly references it too yes it does in in one of the most dark probably the most darkly funny part yeah. of the movie and uh, but genuinely disturbing as well yes, very genuinely uh for those who don't know it's the it's a movie about a uh uh, a boy who's sort of on the cusp of being too old to need a babysitter yeah. and has a crush on his babysitter. Uh, and, uh, his parents, um, I don't know who plays the parent. They're both known. Yes, they are. And now uh, I don't remember who, but, uh, uh, his parents go out for the night and there's his friend is over the babysitter's over and there's a, sort of a home invasion scenario. Yeah. I'm not sure how much to give away. After yeah. That. I, d- I don't want to give uh, much uh, away. Yeah, after Cause that. It, it has some, some fun, uh, twists and, and yeah. turns, but yeah, I got to figure out who the parents were. Um, yeah. Oh, it's Virginia Madsen is the mom. Yeah. Oh, it's Patrick Warburton. I think that's right. It is yeah. Patrick Warburton. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, oddly enough, I kept thinking of Pat Finn, who plays, I think, the Drake. I'm like, no, it's some other Seinfeld uh, character. Oh, that's Putty. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a pretty. It's definitely a very dark movie. It's kind of a cynical movie. Like it is unlike a lot of these other movies where even when they're at their darkest, there's still a certain degree of sentiment there. I'd say better watch out's got none of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you could, it's, but it's, it's, yeah, darkly fun. It's sure. Devilishly fun. Yeah. It also clearly has something, uh, on its mind about, mm-hmm. uh, sort of the entitlement of a young male, yeah. uh, especially one who, uh, is coddled and has never been told no. Yeah, you definitely get a sense of of him. And it's and again, it's that idea that like if you just if you just move him slightly one way or another, he's a very standard, you know, Kevin McAllister in Home Alone is, yes, charming and very watchable, but also entitled and bratty and all of that sort of thing. Um, And here uh yeah the character is that and you're like yeah what would that look like in a with just a, a little bit more of a darker tone um yeah great performances all around yeah I think levi miller is the yeah. kid and i just looked him up because you know as far as you and i are concerned this movie just came out but three years to someone that age oh of course uh is a lot of time and so like his imdb pictures this like is this like Instagram thirst trap type of like oh, hunk, yeah. <laughs> young hunk picture? I almost didn't recognize him at first. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, and then the final movie for me is one that just came out last year. Uh, I really, really loved it. I stumped for it whenever I could. Uh, it's a Christmas high school musical zombie comedy. Oh, right. Called Anna and the apocalypse. Yes. Um, it's the kind, it seems like to be the kind of movie that everyone who has seen it, loves it mm-hmm. just not a whole lot of people saw it unfortunately right. but people who saw it people really stand this movie uh, if you will and i totally understand why the songs are uh delightful the comedy is uh, is pretty funny it's you know kind of quirky uh you know um it's not funny in a surprising way the performances are very warm and there's there's some there's some good uh uh funny jokes um uh, but, I, but the thing I, it, it's a musical first, I think if you were going to rank the, the many genre, mm. uh, genres within it, it's a, it is first and foremost a musical and, and the, and the songs are, are great. And the performances are of, of the songs are really great as a horror movie. On the one hand, it's not act, like a lot of these sort of hybrids. It's not actually very scary, mm-hmm. but I will say when it comes to the zombie tropes, the idea that, characters that you've come to love are going to suddenly die horribly. Hmm. It commits to that, um, in a way that I really, uh, respect. And then every, and yet I've seen it multiple times every time I watch it. Oh, wow. I'm still sad when certain characters, uh, don't make it because you come to really love the characters hmm. and the movie does not, uh, for all the effort it puts into making you love the characters, uh, it does not hesitate to, to kill them off when it's yeah. time to. And that's, uh, that makes it a good, a good, if not a scary movie, a good zombie movie. Yes. Uh, a, a, as well. But, um, definitely, yeah, people check out Anna, Anna and the apocalypse. It's totally worth seeing. It's a lot of fun. And, and that's the thing is I, I knew about the singing. I knew about the zombies. I did not know that there was a, a Christmas aspect to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it takes place. I think, um, I think it's like it starts the last day of school before Christmas break. And okay. that night there's a um, uh, 
Christmas like talent show at the school. And so a bunch of the characters in the you know, zombie trope, you get trapped in some sort of, of like public building. So a bunch of characters are trapped in the public building while a bunch of the, uh, mostly like the parents of the kids and mm-hmm. some of the kids are trapped in the public building or in the, in the public, in the school. And then the other group of kids are sort of main group of kids, uh, who weren't there that night have to like first find each other and then make their way across the town right. to where their friends and parents are at the school. That's the, okay. that's the general premise of the, uh, of the movie. Do you think the film like, as we were talking about with better watch out, it didn't necessarily have to take place at Christmas. Do you feel like Christmas aside from the idea of, Oh, well it's right before a holiday break, but it could be spring break. Like, is there something specific about Christmas that makes this film, uh, unique? Uh, Hmm. Uh, I, I guess that it's about sort of, uh, maybe this is on my mind because, <laughs> And we'll talk about it on a future Patreon episode, probably. But there was a recent, the first episode of Modern Family in this final season that I've liked mm-hmm. was their Christmas episode. And uh, one of the ideas of it was that, you know, when you and I as adults and people our age, you know, Christmas is often a time to go home, mm-hmm. you know, but it can be seen from the other way. If you, if you look at the last Christmas when someone's a teenager. Sure. And. And so a lot of the tension between the main character and her dad is that she wants to go away when she graduates. Mm. He's a single dad or a a widower. You know, he doesn't want to lose his, his daughter. And so they know this is likely to be their last Christmas season together as a family. So I think it plays into that. I also think just the songwriters wanted to write Christmas songs Uh, and they did. There's some, there's some good ones, some good ones in there and some good, not Christmas songs too. Okay. Uh, Definitely check out in, in the apocalypse. I think it's available on uh, shutter, which is a, I I appreciate shutters commitment to just like, embracing anything that is horror or macabre or even just could have anything in common with those things. Like that's where I saw deep murder and they don't sponsor the show and they don't need to. Cause I, I recommend them either way. Yeah. Not that we turn them away. Well, of course not. No, absolutely. Uh, so, all right. Yeah. That's, that's it. Sorry, for me. I, I, you, you and I had talked on a recent episode about, uh, recent songs to join the hol- the holiday canon. Right. All, all around for Christmas is you, which I think right after we recorded hit number one for the first time in its 25 year history. Really? Yeah. Do you uh, think it's because we talked about it's it? It's probably because. We okay. Talked yeah. About it. But, um, and the apocalypse has like, it's one of the opening songs is called Christmas means nothing without you. That's it's just outside of the movie. It's just legitimately like a great pop song. Oh, cool. People should check that out. I, I would love for it to somehow 25 years from now, uh, <laughs> end up number one. But, uh, <laughs> You know, global warming and all, we're not going to be around in 25 years. And certainly Christmas will be different. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> so uh, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. I'm on Twitter at davypretension and I'm on Battleship Pretension non fucking stop lately reviewing the movies. Yeah. This week uh, I reviewed. Uh, James Ivory's The Europeans, which is out in a limited uh, theatrical release. Uh, theatrically, uh, or for new releases, I reviewed Invisible Life, Bombshell, and Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And then I, uh, by the time you're hearing this, I should also have a um, uh, new home video uh, hovel review of a Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, I should have an epi- uh, the review of Just Mercy coming up. I'm, uh, I'm going nonstop. Tyler, you're no slouch yourself. Uh, you've got a review of cats. I do. Yes. It's uh, different. 
than my other reviews. Uh, but then Cats is a different kind of movie. There you go. Um, I have uh, over at more than one lesson.com. You can check out my review of Star Wars. And then I also wrote <laughs> an article that I am that is just very stupid uh, called Six Directors You Won't Believe Have Never Won an Oscar. Yeah. Look, you gonna, you're listening to the podcast. You're in on the joke. Yes. So you can say that it's very stupid. Out in the world, though, you can't break kayfabe like that. You're saying, yes, uh, yes. this is a serious. Yeah. Can you guys believe it? Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> sorry. I should play but, it that way. No, no. We're within we're among friends here. Yeah. Yeah. The thing. Um, so, yeah. And then, of course, check out the Patreon. We talked about it earlier, but uh, uh, Christmas wise, uh, I was going to say Christmas wise to the website. Uh, check out Jim's uh, month of um, Christmas movies recommended by a friend of the show, Alonso Zeraldo over on I do movies badly. Uh, and also on the Patreon this week, we do a Christmas themed mailbag yeah. or a holiday themed mailbag. Specifically, we, right. we answer listeners holiday themed yeah. questions. So and that go should ahead. go up in a couple of days. Uh, yeah. I'm saying, uh, it's, it's coming up. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll, uh, so, and then next week we get into our end of the year uh, coverage a little bit. Yeah. Dip in to the end of the year coverage. Uh, sorry, I, that, that I, I went a long way there. Tyler, you're at, uh, Tyler Battleship. No, you're at Tyler Pretension there we go. on Twitter. Uh, do you have anything else to, to, yeah, uh, what's this, what we say? What? what plug. Plug. That's the word. Um, uh, yeah, uh, in a, in a few days, uh, yeah, um, I don't remember now. Sorry, more than one lesson. I, I, it's back, but it's still kind of new. Uh, so I believe it's going to be going up on Tuesday. But yeah, there will be an episode about the Safdie brothers' uncut gems, with the companion film being John Cassavetes' The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. And oh, uh, thank you. Uh, I was pleased with it myself um, because it's it's my mind just kept going there as I was watching the movie. But anyway, uh, so yeah, that'll be available more than one lesson.com along with my, uh, star Wars review. So, uh, yeah, that's what you can do over there. So, uh, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Merry Christmas. Or and a happy new year. Okay. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.